Greetings everyone, this is Jim Emmerich. Welcome to the Chointcast, interviews and short stories from across the world that connect us with people who wish to share their stories about leadership, where this passion comes from, and the goodness that results. In Chointcast 9, we're introduced to the power of attention management by Mara Neville Thomas, an award-winning international speaker, trainer, and author on individual and corporate productivity, attention management, and work-life balance. Mara has trained thousands using her Empowered Productivity System, a process for achieving significant results and living a life of choice. She's a TEDx speaker, successful entrepreneur, and author of Personal Productivity Secrets and Work Without Walls. She is featured in the Wall Street Journal, NPR, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, U.S. News & World Report, and the Huffington Post. She appears weekly in business outlets such as Fast Company, Inc., Forbes, and the Harvard Business Review. Mara is active in her local community of Austin, Texas, where she has held volunteer leadership positions in a variety of different community organizations and charities. Mora offers quarterly pro bono presentations to nonprofits and donates a percentage of all her revenues to charity. Welcome, Maura Neville-Thomas. I have an admission against interest for the audience. I've had your book for a little while, and yes, the book was well worth the wait. How are you today, Maura? I'm well, thanks. Happy to be here. Your book is is called Work Without Walls, and it's, a, it's an executive guide. I'm going to let you talk about that, but before, just for fun, I looked you up on LinkedIn, and you have a lot of causes that you're involved with, and I'd like for you to tell us about the Girls Empowerment Network. Oh, sure. Yeah, the Girls Empowerment Network is a regional organization started in Austin, Texas, but now um, provides services throughout the state. And it helps girls find their voice and navigate the unique challenges that um, teens and tweens and adolescent girls have in this age of social media and uh, and the Me Too movement and, you know, uh, pay disparity and um, and it just helps helps girls make smart decisions and teaches them life skills that they can use as they go into college, career and independence. I may follow up with you directly with that, Mara, because we have a, a daughter at university and I think there's very practical limitations as to how much advice daddy can provide. Mm, yeah. The organization is run by, um, by experts in uh, women's issues and social workers. And um, they are super smart. And they've all been role models for me throughout my involvement. So I think it's something that any... I think a lot, uh, my peers and I, you know, grown women, we, it, it's sort of like the, the, um, the um, Supreme Court's definition of porn, right? You know it when you see it. And it's like something happens and you're like, I know that that's wrong, but I'm not sure exactly what, I don't have the words to explain why that upsets me. And they teach us to find the words and to help us understand why that's you know why those why things are wrong and and uh, and to stand up for ourselves. So it's really great. That's fantastic, especially given all the exposure this year to to widespread sexual harassment in multiple industries. The timing sounds perfect to have that in place. How wonderful! Mm -hmm. Yeah, Maura, thanks, Maura, How do how do people find you on social media, the web, stuff like that? 
Sure. So my newly launched website is at marathomas.com. And my, uh, I have a Facebook page still at my company name, which is Regain Your Time. So it's facebook.com slash Regain Your Time. My Twitter handle is MN Thomas for Mara Neville Thomas. And uh, also Mara Neville Thomas on LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel at Regain Your Time. So I'm pretty much all over the place. Googling my name will, uh, will provide many results of different ways that you can engage with me. So, Great. Well, yeah. let's do this. Let's move into your, your, your book, Work Without Walls. Let's start with that. I pulled sure. out in my review of your book, the pull quote. Um, you had a quote in there that daydreaming in a grocery line can be more productive than checking email. And I love that. Tell us, tell us why that's so. Yeah. So the, our brain gets engaged when we are uh, in those, what I call the in-between moments, right? You come out of a meeting and, or you read an article and your brain starts to sort of chew on these things and provided that it has an opportunity for that information to make it into working memory. So often we we're multitasking when, you know, we're, we were in the meeting, but we were also checking our email. So we sort of, the information from the meeting just sort of skimmed off the top of our brain and didn't really sink in. Uh, but, but if you do have those in-between moments, those quiet times, I mean, just things like waiting in the grocery line, you know, waiting in line at a store or walking across the parking lot from when you park your car and you head into the mall or to the office building, those used to be the moments where we had these little pockets of downtime so that our brain could latch on to things and then we could create insights from those things. But now those in-between moments are gone because in any pause of activity, the first thing anybody does is whip out their phone. Oh, I can knock off a couple emails. I can check my, you know, my Facebook likes. I can look at the at replies on Twitter. I can be productive in this minute or 90 seconds or two minutes. But I think what we fail to realize is that downtime is very productive. I really like the way you brought that up. Just as you were saying that, I was thinking the same thing and how much that's been lost. I, I noticed even even when driving. Almost, mm -hmm. almost everyone's looking down when they're at the, a stop sign, or especially at a, at a red traffic light. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of productivity and paradigms, you mentioned that there's six myths we've been conditioned to believe are characteristics of productive knowledge workers. Which ones are the worst? Oh, that is a tough question to pick out which one. But um, I think that. FaceTime in the office is a problem. Uh, you know, we, if they're, if I can see them working, then clearly they're working. When meanwhile, you don't really know if they're working. They could be on, there's so many distractions on our computer just because somebody's sitting at their desk and looking at their computer screen doesn't mean that they're working or doesn't mean that it's productive work. So it's ridiculous to think, not to say that people goof off, but what I'm saying is that Productivity can happen anywhere. It doesn't really matter whether you're sitting in the office or whether you're working from home. But I think a lot of managers have this bias. You know, if I can't see them, then I'm not sure that they're working. And that needs, in my opinion, managers who believe that need a skill update. It's time to recognize that uh, working from home can, if you do it well, 
or other locations can be as productive or more productive. A lot of my clients tell me that they're so much more productive when they work from home because there are fewer distractions. Um, so that's one. I think that there's this, one of the things that I think is, is really detrimental is this idea of hard work, right? Hard work leads to success. Well, I think it depends on how you define hard work. And I think most people define hard work as more work, lots of work. I'm working hard if I'm burning the candle at both ends and I'm just working all the time, work, 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 that's hard work. And that's what will lead to success. And when it comes to knowledge work, work where the outcomes are ideas and creativity and innovation, in fact, the opposite is true. Productivity of knowledge workers has shown to fall off somewhere around 50 hours a week. And work it counts. It counts as work if you go home at night and then you check your emails after putting in a full day. That still counts as working. So it might feel like we're being more productive when, in fact, using our brain in different ways, spending time with family, engaging in hobbies, you know, having a laugh with a friend, reading a book, even watching a movie or a TV show, all of those things engage our brain in different ways. And that leads to increased productivity. If we just use our brain for the same thing all the time, work, 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 then you can't get a, a fresh perspective on something you never step away from. So probably that's the best answer to your question. Too much work is the worst. I think it's a great point. You think there's a, almost a badge of honor for people in professions where 50 hour work weeks are, are normal is, is, or, or more. So mm -hmm. to then how, how can each of us individually begin to think about our own productivity and, and how to improve it? Well, that's a very big question, but I think balance, you know, there's this idea now in the literature that work-life balance is a myth or that millennials prefer work-life integration. And, you know, again, I really think it depends on how you define the terms. But to me, work-life balance means I work an appropriate amount of time and then I do completely different things. Now, when I do those, maybe work-life integration to some people means, you know, I work for a little bit in the morning and then I go have a workout at the gym in the middle of the day and then I come back to work. Sure, that's all great. But but my my point is that too, too much work is not helpful for us. So thinking about a balance in your life, especially I imagine that the majority of your audience are knowledge workers. For So people who are, um, the, the tool that they bring to work every day is their brain. And if if that's the case, then you need to pay attention to what makes your brain function optimally. And and now you get into health and wellness and balance and um, a diversity of activities so that your brain stays sharp and creative and innovative. You know, I, I like that answer, Mara. You defined in more specific detail three terms, calm, happy, and energized as three states of mind that best achieve effectiveness and performance. Can you break that down a little for us? I can, and I don't want to take credit for it. That research comes from Alexander Calais, and you'd think I know, I, I would know where, I, I don't, I don't know if he's from Stanford or from Harvard or from, but his work, um, 
he's the one who discovered through his research um, and studies that he did uh, that that calm, happy, and energized are the three states for leaders that lead to the best performance. So I don't think, if you walk into the average office and you look around at the employees, I don't think that you will find most of them exuding calmness and happiness and looking like they're super energized. I think most people look exhausted and overwhelmed and frustrated. Even if you love your job, I think a lot of people are still overwhelmed by it. And that's the goal of my work is to help people bring their unique gifts to the world every day in a way that makes them feel energized and motivated instead of in a way that makes them feel stressed and overwhelmed and frustrated. I think we've encountered similar research findings, Mara. I remember reading Tony Schwartz's books about the powerful engagement. Big fan of Tony Schwartz, yeah. And and it's very similar, and I, I believe it was his writing where he, he basically described, think of think of the lion. The lion's resting most of the time until it goes into burst mode when it's time to hunt with full focus, make the kill, get the food and the nourishment, and very quickly back into that relaxed state again. So I've always thought if you can be calm but ready to pounce, that could be the, the calm yet energized. It might it, you might not see that that you're energized, but the energy's ready to go. Yeah, I think energy and attention um, have a lot in common, although different though. So Tony Schwartz, you're right, talks all about energy management, and I'm a big fan of his work. I read, I think, all of his books um, that you do, and and that's um, one of the things he talks about is that we work, we have. Um, I think they're called ultradian rhythms, where circadian rhythms are sleep and wake cycles. But we also have ultradian rhythms where our wake cycles, sometimes we're more energetic and sometimes we enter a lull. And it's important to pay attention to those and um, and rest when you feel like you need a break. Take a break, you know, have some downtime, do something different. A lot of people will say, well, I've been reading this spreadsheet for the last hour, so I'm going to take a break now and I'm going to read Facebook instead. <laughs> That's not really, <laughs> it's not really a break because um, you're using your brain in the same way. But for me, um, I guess related to Tony's work, it's more about are you managing your attention. So even if you're feeling super energetic, if that energy leads you to multitasking, trying to do um, an email while you also work on a client proposal and then people are stopping by your desk and you're happy to talk to them and, oh, look, there's a text message. If um, if you're not controlling your attention during those intense work cycles, then you won't have the experience that you expected. You won't get as much work done and it will be it will have more mistakes. Now, did you come across that more with with research, or did you come across that yourself in your in your own career? I'm curious about that. Yeah, a little of both. It, I realized so. I've been in the productivity industry back since the days of paper based planners. Really, I started my career um, really when email was not. It was just just starting to be a thing and the internet was certainly not available. I remember when I got the that my first device that had internet capabilities and that was probably, I don't know, 2000 I don't even know when when that was, but um but it once we began once the internet happened and not only the internet but then the the 
internet in our pocket, the world in our pocket, right, through our smartphones, then that's when people, that's when I started to see a real difference in my clients and in their distractibility and their shortened attention spans. Um, but it also aligned with the reading that I was doing. You know, the research always takes a little while to catch up to the technology, but, you know, neuroscience research now is really focused on how does technology affect our thinking and our attention span and our ability to use our brains to their full capacity. You know, another reason to get your book, Work Without Walls, there's a terrific nine-hour workday chart, which is very powerful. You called it unrealistic, but typical. Yeah. What what does that chart tell us, and how can we become more productive as a result? Sure. In my experience, I, I find that the average professional gets about 100 email messages a day, and that's not it, that's that's typically that's after you filtered out the spam and and you dealt with the junk and stuff. Somewhere around a hundred actual messages that are real work that you need to deal with. And on average, it takes about two minutes on average to just sort of read a message and figure out how it relates to you and what you need to do with it. So a hundred messages a day at two minutes a message is two hundred minutes a day, which is three hours and twenty minutes a day of work. And what I find is that a lot of people treat email as this thing that we have to squeeze in in between real work. <laughs> but in <laughs> fact, email is real work. And so there's three hours and 20 minutes of work. It just happens to come to you through your inbox, but it's work. And then what I also find um, is that my clients tend to have somewhere around four hours of meetings every day. So now you've got four hours, especially the leaders, right? Four hours of meetings, three and a half hours of email. There's a seven and a half hour day before you've done anything, right? <laughs> before you've done anything else. Before it's a you've tough taken start. any, yeah, right. And so, um, so that's just not. It's not realistic to expect to live that way. Certainly, there are going to be days like that. But if every day is like that, then it's no wonder that you feel burned out and overwhelmed and frustrated, because that's just simply not sustainable. So, how do we start dealing with that? Well, you know, being a consultant, the answer to any question is it depends. <laughs> but <laughs> but one thing is to recognize, so dealing with email, one thing is to recognize the time that email really takes and the fact that it is work and to work it into your plans. I don't necessarily mean that you need to make an appointment on your calendar every day that says read email, but because we're the first ones who are going to break an appointment with ourselves, right? The first person you'll break an appointment with is yourself. So putting an appointment on your calendar every day that says read email is just not realistic. However, it's important to factor in, just like you look at your calendar and you say, well, I need 30 minutes to get across town for that next meeting, and you sort of factor that into your plans, I think you have to do the same thing with email. So when there's going to be a day, for example, that you're going to you are going to be in meetings all day or you're going to be out of the office doing something else at a conference or whatever, then you have to recognize that tomorrow you're going to have six hours worth of work at least to deal with. And if the conference goes two days long, then you better realize that the day you come back, you should probably clear your schedule because all you'll have time to do is catch up. Or 
what a lot of people do is they say, well, I'll just, I'll squeeze emails in, in the breaks and after dinner at the, while I'm at the conference. But again, that's just, we're tired enough from the travel and the brain power that, that a conference or a full day meeting requires to think that we're going to have anything left over for more work is just not good self-care and therefore your brain power is going to suffer and so you're short-circuiting your abilities. One of the things that comes out in our in our leadership classes, Mara, is when we're looking at characteristics of lousy leaders and one of the things that comes up all the time is the workaholic. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there's both high performers and workaholics. How do we distinguish those and maybe more importantly, what are the warning signs when we're approaching becoming a workaholic? Sure. You want performers, you want employees, team members who who recognize that there are times when it's crunch time in the business, right? All hands on deck. We've got this big thing going on and we really need everybody available and and working and it's 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 a big deal and but it is temporary. <laughs> and so the people who step up during those times, those are high performers. You want them on your team. But the people who are always, you know, who you receive emails from at two in the morning, just randomly, <laughs> the people who um, you are hearing from on the weekends, um, the people who are supposed to be on vacation, but somehow you keep, you know, their, their work is proceeding and you keep hearing from them every day like they're not even gone. Those people are workaholics. And their work is going to suffer because that kind of sustained work with no real downtime is just not um, productive in the long run. I think I think our audience will definitely understand the difference now. I can't think of anything that comes up more when people are talking about their physical work environments than, than those who have comments, usually critical, about being in an open office environment and and you write about that what are what are the drawbacks of that from a productivity standpoint and and many of us are just stuck in that environment how can you counter some of that yeah there's a whole chapter on it in work without walls you're right it's it is not something that people enjoy and I think that we really need to face the facts I think when open office floor plans started to get a lot of attention people were uh, they put a shiny, a happy face on it, right? Oh, it's going to inspire collaboration and socializing and people are just going to make these interesting connections that they never would have made when they were in their own offices with their door closed. And um, while there is some evidence to suggest that that is a possibility, the vast majority of research studies on open office floor plans shows that it's horrible for productivity and really nobody likes it. <laughs> and so I think we just need to call a spade a spade. Now, the truth is open office floor plans are less expensive and that's why they're becoming so popular. And that's an important thing for a business owner to consider. Of course, we have to pay attention to the bottom line. But we also need to recognize that knowledge work requires deep thinking and undistracted times and and so it's really not the floor plan itself but it's the implementation 
So I think a lot of companies make a mistake where they will just say, we're going to go to an open office and they just tear down on the walls and they put in a table and they say, go forth and be productive. And it takes a lot more consideration than that. How are you going to ensure that, sure, that people are more social and they have an opportunity to collaborate, but also recognize that they need quiet time too? What are you going to do about that? So there are lots of things you can do, and it really depends on if you're making the move now and planning your open office, or if you already have one and you're just trying to minimize the detriments. But um, it's important to note that hard surfaces amplify sound, and um, soft furnishings can absorb sound. So, for example, if, you ha- if you're in like a warehouse space with high ceilings and metal beams and concrete floors, then every single sniffle by anybody in the office is going to be amplified so that everyone hears it. Everyone hears every tap of every keyboard, every um, crinkle of every gum wrapper. Every single sound is going to be um, magnified, never mind conversations and um and, and the pinging of our technology. So um, so putting in some carpeting, some curtains, some plants um, can be an, an easy thing to do. Also, you could pipe in some white noise overhead so that it's um, true white noise, like the sound of a fan or something, or it could be like nature sounds. You could make it so that the office itself is actually the quiet space. And then if people want to have a a louder conversation, they need to step into another room Um, or the reverse, right? The office could be the loud, boisterous place, but there are also places where people can go so that they can um, be undistracted and have some quiet time. I think there's some good ideas there. One of the clients I'm working with does that that white noise thing where they seem to have a generally quiet area and then there's many breakout rooms uh, for, yeah. for, for different functional purposes. So it, it actually looks like that one was either done by design or very quickly adapted when they realized um, it, it, it was not perhaps as ideal as they thought. Um, they, they saw pro- productivity go down. Just a couple more questions here and a, and a fun question too, but we've been focusing a lot on it on, on a knowledge-based environment, and, you, and you're, you're correct, Mara. This is this is definitely a, a knowledge-based audience that the joint cast is is for. But what are some general factors we, in a leader role, in a leader role, should be focusing on or thinking about, so that we're going to get that extra productivity we've been talking about? That's a great question, and there are so many things. <laughs> How about a the, couple? Yeah, I think it is important. Like I said. Um, if the tool that your employees bring to the job every day that they use to produce their work is their brain, then it should matter to the leaders how the brain is functioning that day, right? Is it not only, so it should matter, not only the the physical functioning of the tangible organ, like does it have enough glucose and um, did you get enough sleep last night? But also the the feelings and the opinions and the mood of the employees matter as well because somebody's going to be um, more uh, somebody's going to be better at their work if they're not feeling cranky and and you know disgruntled that day, for example. So those things matter, and because those things matter, some things that employees uh, employers can do is 
um, have make sure that there are healthy snacks available because we need sources of of you know brain power takes a lot of energy so we need um, if you have Danish and bagels available and potato chips and sodas your people probably aren't going to perform as well if you had you know nuts and yogurt and water um, and those types of things available for people to recharge another thing is to recognize that people need downtime so if you i wrote an article for harvard business review called your late night emails are hurting your team and it became very popular because i think people didn't recognize that you know sometimes leaders will say oh i I don't. I didn't expect you to answer that. I just happened to be thinking of it at eleven o'clock on a Thursday, so I just, you know, emailed you quickly. But the employee is going is is likely going to think, well, boss, if you're working, I'm working, right? I want to show you that I'm dedicated, or or it's a lack of attention management. So meaning, the the person didn't really mean to be working at 11 o'clock at night, but because they spend all day checking their email, that's a hard habit to break just because you've walked out of the office, especially since you walk out of the office with a tool that gets your email. So you might find yourself sitting on the couch watching TV while your fingers are idly tapping the buttons on your device and suddenly you tapped that email and you didn't mean to, but oh my gosh, there's an email from the boss and what does she need? And well, I better jump on my laptop now so that I can answer this properly. And before you know it, it's one in the morning, right? So, right. Um, so sending emails at all hours is a really detrimental habit for um, leaders to engage in. I really like just the idea that if it's a knowledge organization you're in, um, people's brains have to be taken care of. That's a nice way to think about it. Once we start thinking about the brain, we're thinking about the person. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, have, you have a lot of ways uh, to stay connected with your audience after they read your book. That's after they read Work Without Walls, which is really nice. Can you share uh, what a couple of those are? Sure. There, um, I, I do speaking engagements all over the world, really. Um, I have a lot of, there's a list of um, additional reading at the back of the book and also a list of um, apps and tools and resources that I really like and that I recommend. Um, those are super helpful. And of course, I offer training to leadership teams um, on from the concepts of the book, how they can make their how they can create a more productive corporate culture and also training for individuals um, inside companies on how they can be more productive. So lots of, and of course, and I wrote another book called Personal Productivity Secrets. Um, so 250 articles on my blog, lots of ways. Fantastic. It's very nice when, when people do that, especially when there's best practices shared. There's a, there's an app that I use in my email called Mail Butler, and I'm almost certain mm -hmm. I I found that out because of another author that was kind enough to share a best practice at, at the end of the book. So mm. look, looking, looking ahead, Mara, what projects are you working on now that you'd like to share with us? Sure. I am, um, I've got a lot of things going on. There'll be a new edition of my first book called Personal Productivity Secrets that came out in 2012. So tools have changed and I've got some um, new ways of explaining things. So that'll be out uh, probably early next year. 
And I'm also working on a version of um, of Work Without Walls, but geared more for individuals. And it's more about attention management and what that is and how to master it and why I think it's the most important skill for the 21st century. So that'll probably be out uh, probably summer. This year? I think so, yeah. Well, wonderful. I hope I'm on your early review list because that one sounds like a winner. And it also sounds like something that could even even help with uh, a workshop that I have that's focused on personal energy management, which is uh, a very nice workshop. We're we're done with the, the joint cast, Mara. I want to thank you. I think there's a lot of, of really good ideas that came out of this talk. And more importantly, um, people can not just read read my review, they can find your book and, and get even more and have an ongoing relationship with you as well. Well, thanks very much for having me, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening today. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, hashtag Choink, C-H-O-I-N-Q-U-E, and visit www.choink.com to sign up for an upcoming Academy Leadership Excellence course and to support one of our worthy causes, such as Autism Speaks Walk. 